there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. In this week's video, it's an interview, a very special interview with a dear friend of mine, Jackie Kindle. She is a leadership and executive coach, and she works with um, leaders in all sorts of spaces, um, has over 25 years of experience, and uh, she's answering questions today that were submitted from the NPs in the community to ask specifically about leadership questions related to becoming a nurse practitioner. The main areas we focused on were about um, starting off as a nurse practitioner, pearls, pitfalls, and guidance about delegation. The other part was about um, supervising staff that are not your direct reports and how to effectively do that, how to communicate clearly, how to set expectations, and how to give feedback, especially when it's uncomfortable. We also talked about the steps to take if things are not working well um, and the proactive things we can do to keep them running smoothly. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. I had so much fun, and Jackie is such a wealth of knowledge. But yeah, without further ado, here's my interview with Jackie. Awesome. Well, welcome, Jackie. Um, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me, Liz. My name is Jackie Kendall, and I am in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. As of three months ago, I do executive coaching. I really I work with leaders, um, emerging leaders, people who are aspiring to be leaders, all the way up to CEOs helping them become more effective at leading every day. And I also do a lot of consulting, diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. And all of these things together are really aimed to create a culture that is inclusive where everyone has an opportunity to be their best self. So I'm happy to be here today with you talking about leadership, which is my number one passion. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, Jackie, I'm so excited. Um, there are so many things we could talk about. I think the context of the main struggle that new nurse practitioners have, I guess there's like we talked about before, like there's three kind of like main, main things that people mm -hmm. struggle with. So I think the context is that new nurse practitioners when they graduate potentially have worked as a nurse in the hospital before or not. And so they might have some delegation experience, but they might not. And so it's like so much of our schooling is focused on the clinical aspects, but then we, in the real world, we have to be managing people in a way that we didn't always expect or be prepared for, mm -hmm. um, which includes a lot of delegation to like stepping outside of the role that is comfortable as a nurse and stepping into a new role of leadership, which is very uncomfortable and, yeah. and, you, and ownership over like the things that you need to delegate to other people to do your job effectively. And I think the main thing that people do is hold on to jobs because they can just do it themselves. Uh, and yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> so I think the person, like, I guess like from the con the question being like from the context of a new provider, what are like the main, 
What are the main pearls, advice, guidance you have for people stepping into that new leadership role in that context? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is you're not alone. I mean, I can tell you the over hundreds of leaders that I've worked with, that is always an issue when you first become a leader after being an individual contributor or someone that didn't manage people is delegation. Some people either don't delegate, they hold on to those things because they're comfortable and they make them feel like, oh, I, I know how to do this. So at least I'm going to be, because you don't know how to lead when you first yeah. begin to lead. So you have <laughs> these technical skills and you want to hold on to them. I think yes. it's, it's, like, it's like that comfort blanket. That's what oh, I think. Yeah. So I think, you know, we want to normalize the fact that um, delegation is very difficult. And there's that other piece where some of the things that you need to delegate, you want to keep because they keep you sort of feeling like you're, you're, you're contributing. Um, so one of the things that I want to say also is the most important thing about delegating is being really clear on the expectations. So a lot of times what I see is um, there's assumptions. So I'm giving this to you and the assumption is, you know what to do. And, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know what to do. And therefore I'm not going to intervene. Um, I hear a lot of, a lot of new leaders saying, I don't want to micromanage. They, they know how to do it. So I just give it to them. And then when it starts to go downhill and what they're doing doesn't align with expectations, then there's the, Ooh, it's not working. Um, what do I do? And a lot of times they say, Oh, let me just take it back and do it myself. Mm -hmm. Not realizing that then you've signaled to the person that you delegated to that they've failed. Mm -hmm. So that creates a whole a host of other issues, conflict, um, you know, people being demoralized, disempowerment. And so we must be clear when we delegate, like, what are the expectations? We have to over communicate. We need to be sure that we're delegating to someone that has the capability of learning to do the thing that we're delegating, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to delegate something and set someone else for failure. If they've never done it, that's fine. Delegation is a way to help people grow, but you have to be there to support them as they learn. So being clear about what it is, being clear about how you're going to measure success. So that's the other thing. Mm. A lot of times we're not clear about what good looks like when we delegate. Because mm. again, we're assuming that they should know what good looks like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is so resonant. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ding, ding, ding. And like for so many new NPs I talked to too, like they like so resonant, but yeah, go ahead. Right. I mean, we were good at it. So I think a lot of times we just, sometimes we just really want that other person to be good at it too. Like we were, and we assume that they are, we give them the benefit of the doubt and for the person that you're delegating to, if you've not been clear about what good looks like, they're assuming, and they don't want to come and tell you that they're stuck because then that says something about them. Mm. I don't want to, I want to make sure that they know that delegating this to me was a good thing. Um, if it's something they wanted to learn how to do. And so you, you, you know, it's just this lack of communication. And oftentimes what happens is the end result doesn't meet expectations and now you have to deal with giving performance feedback which is also something that 
new managers uh, <laughs> that I've worked with typically are really hesitant to do, right? Because really? it feels, feels punitive and, you know, just, I don't, I, I don't want to have that conversation. I don't like conflict. And, you know, we could talk about that as well. So I, I think mm -hmm. to sum up what I just said about delegation, it's really important to be clear about expectations, to be there with the person. What I suggest for, for uh, leaders is to say, we're going to check in in two days, right? And I'm going to check in and see what support you need, um, how it's going. It's okay to say, you're stuck or it's okay to come and ask me questions in between, like just making it open and okay that if they're learning something new, you're there and it's okay to ask questions. Yeah. Creating that, you know, I think of it like a smart goal, like, you know, creating those, you know, what are the measurements? Um, you know, when are we gonna check in? What's the time, what's the deadline? Ooh, mm -hmm. what's the deadline? Cause that's another one. Sometimes we don't tell people when, we want it to be done. Yeah. Right? Um, we make a lot of assumptions. We make a lot, a lot of assumptions. Of yeah, yeah. And I, I love that. I mean, I think that it's like, I've been doing, I've been an NP for about six years and then I was a nurse mm -hmm. for six years, uh, five or six years before that. And I still am learning this. Like I'm still not great at this. And even just you saying that, like making, I'm, I'm much better now at communicating what I want, but I'm not always clear about the success piece and that mm -hmm. time piece. Like, those are a lot of specifics that I think that we're assuming and we don't, we don't think about. And I think you're right. Like, I think when I hear about it from nurse practitioners, it's like this assumption of they're already good at it or they're micromanaging yeah. or yeah. I'll just do it myself because they're so used to coming from this team environment where it's like, we all pitch in and it means that we're a team player. When in fact, like you giving something to somebody else and empowering them to do so is is a lot different. And I, and I love what you said about when you, when you just do it yourself, it communicates to them that they didn't do a good job. It, it potentially communicates a lot of negative things to them. And I think that we discount that sometimes when we're taking yeah. all the things ourselves. but like that is so core to a team, to team formation, right? Absolutely. And I think the, if we were to sum it down to one word, it's communication. Yeah, like we have to be in frequent communication and we have to check in and we have to say, mm -hmm. how's it going? We have to say, you know, uh, what can I do to support you? Um, you know, how confident do you feel in doing this? What, you know, what resources might you need? There, there just needs to be a lot of communication and, mm -hmm. and we have to manage ourselves as well so that we're not swooping in and taking over. So there's, you know, there's this balance with you don't want to be a micromanager and every day come and check in because that drives people. <laughs> um, but you also don't want to like drop it off and abandon them. So mm -hmm. setting those expectations in advance of when we're going to check in and how, so that when you do check in based on when you said you would, the person's not assuming they don't trust me. They're micromanaging. Yes. Here they come again. Here comes Liz asking me again. <laughs> no, we've already, oh, we've so already <laughs> right. We've already created those expectations and you know the boundaries and you know if this happens, come to me. Um, mm -hmm. You kind of baked it in at the very beginning, and you're continuing to follow up. So that's yeah. that's the best recipe that I know for effective delegation. 
And like, do you have doing it? (laughs) Yeah. And, and, um, do you have a sense? I think for me, one of the things I struggle with is like that. My, I definitely struggle with that micromanagement piece. And like, I never want to, and I, I work on the way that I communicate such that it is always coming from a place of kindness and curiosity. But I also worry about like, I don't know, like being condescending or something like over explaining something that's obvious to somebody um, and being mm. insulting. And maybe that's just a me thing. <laughs> like, like yeah. do you have any, is there a line for you? Is there like a rule of thumb when it comes to communication in terms of like, how would you know if you're over communicating or is that not even a problem? Is it, is it just fine to assume that oh, like you have a lot more of a barrier with over communication than you think? I, I think that when it comes to delegating, there's really no such thing as over communication. Yeah. I think that we can signal, I'm going to explain it to you thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, my intent in doing so is to make sure that I don't assume, you know, that you know how to do this. I want to make sure that I'm really clear. So I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to go through the whole thing. Some of this you may already know, which is great. Um, you may have questions, which is also great, but I'm going to give you the whole detail. Mm-hmm. And so just having that conversation up front so that you you then have been really clear about what your intent in your intent yes. is and sharing all the stuff, yeah. uh, all the details. So they don't think, well, what she think? I'm stupid. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm just making sure we're really clear. This yeah. is all about clarity. And I know when this was delegated to me, I would have appreciated having all these details. And so that's really what it is. Um, yeah. And I think we got to get into the mindset of why it's important to delegate in the first place. So mm. I also see that people feel, I don't want to, I talked to a new leader about a month ago and she said, I don't want to delegate because the things that I need to delegate aren't fun. And I don't want them to think I'm just giving them the grunt work. And um, so I'm just doing it myself. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the impact of you doing it yourself? Then you're not getting the strategic work done that you're being paid to do and you're expected to do. And so how did you learn how to do the job you're in? Mm. Well, those things were foundational. Okay. Mm. So um, don't rob your employees of the foundational things that will help them grow. And that's what delegation is. Mm. It's helping people grow and learn. Mm, I love that. I love that yeah. so much. Yeah. It's so awesome. But yeah, I just love how like you're even just explicitly saying like, I'm saying this because X, Y, and Z, you know, like yeah. just that level of transparency is like, I don't know. That's just like, it's like, why would that not occur to me? I don't know. I just like, I don't think I've ever been that explicit in terms of like, Hey, I'm explaining this to you because you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Um, but that actually brings me, and I think the reason that's on my mind and it kind of brings us to the other part of it is that there are one of the things that I struggled with as a new grad was that I came in as a brand new nurse practitioner. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about leadership. And I started working with a medical assistant who was technically like, I was supervising her in air quotations because I, she wasn't my direct report, but I was on the hook to influence slash supervise her. I don't know what the term is there. And then you have the other kind of like dynamics of like, she's been there for 10 years. She's significantly older than I am. 
and she doesn't love her job. <laughs> mm. And she's like always mad at me. Like, anyway, that's like interpersonal conflict. But like, I guess the thing that the, the reason I, that's another potential reason that is difficult to delegate is because you have potentially some either interpersonal conflicts or performance feedback type of situations or defensiveness from the mm. people that you're trying to supervise, but then you're also not their direct supervisor. So I, this is like a very layered question. <laughs> There's so many parts, <laughs> but like, yeah. Cause then I think then, then like another question that springs out of that is like, so how do you do that when you're not a direct report? They're not your direct report. What are the steps to mm. mitigate that? And like, maybe that's a whole another topic, but um, yeah. What are your thoughts just about, I guess that, I guess setting expectations going into performance feedback, like mm -hmm. if you have, if you have pearls about that or advice or guidance about that, and then the interpersonal conflict piece, perhaps. Sure. So I'll start with, you know, the needing to manage people who don't report to you directly. So that is, that's difficult for new managers and, and, you know, people who've managed for a while. I think the most important thing to starting the relationship is for the person that they report to directly. So mm -hmm. whoever their, whoever their, you know, solid line manager is yeah. to, say, to, to say to them that, um, you know, you're also going to report to Liz on a dotted line. So in corporate, they have the solid line and dotted line. What it mm -hmm. means is both, both man, both people, you, 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 Report to both people, right? Mm -hmm. This person's writing your performance review and this person's directly responsible for your performance, but this person also is in, in the mix. Yeah. So for the person that um, the medical assistant reports to directly, yeah. signal that you're also going to be, um, you know, reporting to Liz and she's responsible for managing these aspects. But that sets you up for success. So the person is not thinking, well, I don't have to answer to you, right? You're mm -hmm. not my, you're not my, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> so yeah. These I could tell you some horror stories, Jackie. <laughs> I, 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 I have experienced some myself. Um, and it's even challenging, you know, when you're having to influence peers as well. So to me, I think, getting you go you know i keep going back to it but getting clarity at the very beginning about yeah. what your role is as it relates to them and what their ro role is as it relates to you and the expectations mm -hmm. um starting with those expectations is really important and i think the other thing is developing the relationship a lot of times when we have these conflicts it's it stems from like i've assumed your intent you've assumed mine. Mm -hmm. And when we assume, it's usually nothing empowering, right? Yeah. We like our brain has brains have that negativity bias where mm -hmm. we just, if we don't have the information, we're filling in the gaps. And it's, it's with something that's, that's not <laughs> helpful. <laughs> and so the more I know you, Liz, yeah, you could walk in and say something crazy. And I'm like, well, I know Liz, she must be having a bad day. Like, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Right, right. And I'm going to give you grace because I know you. And so what a lot of new managers do is put on their manager cap. And now I'm in this role and I'm mm -hmm. not going to, you know, you have to 
you have to develop those relationships. I don't mean, you know, going to happy hour every Friday with the person or whatever, but creating a professional relationship. So you know what their goals are and what need, what they need and where they want to go. And you're having a conversation about that and they know what your expectations are and, you know, letting, letting them in a little bit, um, into your heart and who you are as a, mm -hmm. as a human. So mm -hmm. creating that human to human connection so that when you have to give feedback, they know it's coming from a good place. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so making sure that they understand what your role is as it relates to them is key. And then making sure that you're developing a relationship. And when there is conflict, you have the same approach. Like, I need to have a conversation with you. And the purpose of the conversation is, you know, there are some things that I see that you're doing that could um, result in you not being successful. And mm -hmm. I, you know, my role and my responsibility is to make sure that you're successful. And so I want to have this conversation with you. And mm -hmm. that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's clarifying your intent up front again about mm. why you want to have the conversation mm. and then being very specific yeah. about the behaviors, what you noticed, what they did, what they didn't do, the mm. impact. So the mm. Center for Creative Leadership has a feedback model mm. and it's S as in Sam, B as in boy, I, right? Mm. So it's, what was the situation yesterday when we had the conversation um, what was the behavior you said X, Y, and Z, or you did X, Y, and Z, or you didn't do X, Y, and Z. And mm -hmm. here's the impact. So when, when you mm -hmm. did or didn't do X, Y, and Z, this is, this is the impact. This is what happened. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, a lot of times if we just follow that, it, it makes it harder for the person to be defensive because we've not described how we interpret the behavior, right? Mm -hmm. We've said, mm -hmm you did X, Y, and Z, or you said X, Y, and Z. Now, sometimes people will say, no, I didn't. Well, you know, yes, you did. But a lot of times, if you're being really specific about what you, what you witnessed or what they yeah. said, or, you know, here were the expectations for how you do this thing. And, you know, here's, you know, what I'm seeing and being specific and having examples, here's yeah. the impact. And, you know, they added in intent. So, you know, tell me about your intent in doing it that way, as opposed to mm. this way. Um, and then just having a conversation yeah. and then being clear about in the mm. future, here's what needs to happen. What mm. can I do to support you in doing it this way or in getting this done or whatever the change is that you're asking for. Mm. Oh gosh, I love that so much because it's like so clear and it's so matter of fact and flat. And it also is still very human centered where like, mm. like, like to the, just the, just the comment about like, I want you to be successful. Like, mm. wow. You know, that's such a different feel than most right. <laughs> I mean, fact that I ever see <laughs> or have experienced. Who's going to get mad at that? <laughs> totally. You know? And also, and also the curiosity, the, the, like, uh, like if we can just keep in mind we're going to automatically assume the worst and like, can we automatically catch that, reframe it into curiosity? And then also like, I love algorithms and like frameworks to use because it's just like a cheat code, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
looks like SBI. Okay. I can remember that. Here's the impact and tell me more about that because every single time I've asked that it, there's more information that you would never know. And I've had, and I've had situations either as a nurse or a nurse practitioner where I was, I was given feedback from, from a kind of caring, supportive, curious place. And then in a presumptive, you, why did you do this? You did this wrong. And it was like, oh, well, here's like the whole other backstory. And actually this was the best option. And it's like, Mm. oh, okay. You know, and and it just, it lands so differently for the person you're giving feedback to. And it helps with culture. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think that's like one of the, the kind of last points we I wanted to to touch on. There's like so much we could talk about, but um, I know we leave it here for now. Um, But the, I guess when it comes to, so the situation I see so often, unfortunately, is that there's understaffing to start with. And then um, there's a lot of issues, but I'll just, I'll just touch on them and then you can pick which ones you want to talk about. But so we're understaffed. We're trying to hire, for example, a medical assistant. I'm primarily focusing on medical assistant and NP relationship because that's the main kind of like delegation leadership role. There's also nurses too, but um, in terms of the delegation roles, but specifically for that, we're understaffed. We're struggling to hire somebody. We hire somebody. There isn't a great onboarding process. Um, they are overworked and underpaid. And then there's some behavior issues and there's no supervision. Like there's like so many facets of things potentially that could go wrong that I see going wrong. And I think on the unfortunate thing that I see over and over again is that somebody has either, either underperforming or has some behavioral issues. And please tell me if there's like a better way to phrase behavioral issues, because that feels like not human centered to say, but like there's some challenges and this person has been kind of shifted around to all the different providers. And then Mm. the new NP gets stuck with a bad situation and they just have to handle it. Yeah. So that's like a, that's like a whole mix of all the things we've talked about so far. But if you have any advice about that, like I recently talked with a mentee who had a medical assistant specifically practicing outside of her scope. So that's a lot more clear where it's like you're trying to do the job of a nurse or a nurse practitioner, and that's clearly not your role. Responsibility right. is dangerous for patients. But then the other kind of like softer version is it's just kind of like a bullying, problematic experience in the workplace. Mm. It's like a word vomit, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any comments you want to add or advice or guidance about that? It's a really common, unfortunate situation. It's it's not uncommon, even in corporate, instead of having the bold and courageous conversation and dealing with the performance problem. And that's just what I would say is a performance problem or performance issue or non-performance. Instead of dealing with it, you know, shuffling the person to another department. And the problem with that is, you know, they're never given the opportunity to to self-correct if they're shifted to the next place. And the other problem Mm. is, I think a lot of times leaders underestimate the impact that not, that that failing to deal with non-performance has on the people who are performing. Mm. If I'm coming and I'm giving it my all and I'm invested and, you know, my manager is, you know, giving me, you know, accolades and recognition um, but this other person is here either treating me poorly or um, being abusive or bullying, you know, 
even the, the patients um, just not performing over time that erodes my motivation. It mm -hmm. can erode my motivation mm -hmm. to show up and, and, yeah. and play full out because, well, this other person's still here and they're still, you know, they're still getting all the same benefits that I'm getting. And I'm, I'm, you know, giving all this extra effort. It's sort of like when you have, you know, um, you get a basket of berries and you have that one berry that's got all moldy and then how that <laughs> molds all the berries. The whole thing. Yeah. Totally. That moldy berry out of the basket. And so not to sound cruel, um, but I believe giving people clear feedback and making sure they understand the expectations, giving them the support they need to meet the expectations and if they can't or they don't want to, because sometimes it's a skill and sometimes it's a will, like a willingness. Yeah. If you want to, um, you, you have to part ways. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, you don't want to get to that point, but sometimes it's not a good fit. Sometimes it's, it's just not going to work. As long as you, as the leader, have given you know, every opportunity to connect with that person on a human level, mm -hmm. understand what their challenges are, have those conversations mm -hmm. um, and give them the opportunity and support they need. If you've done that and it's still not working, you're doing everyone, including that person, a disservice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have said like being uh, fired from a job was the best thing that ever happened to them. Like mm -hmm. it sounds crazy, but mm -hmm. no one wants to show up to work and fail. And when people are failing, they generally know it's not working in their mm -hmm. bones. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even just having that conversation to say this, like we, we tried all these things. This is not working. Like what, what is it that you, um, what else do you need? Or do you feel like this is the right role for you? Like, let's have a conversation about it. Like human mm -hmm. to human. Mm -hmm. um you know to your point earlier sometimes just opening that window allows for such a rich conversation mm -hmm. and it doesn't always end well right sometimes mm -hmm. people are are mad and they're they're you know sometimes they even sue right yeah. or wrongful mm -hmm. termination and that's the most unfortunate um reality of being in a leadership role is it's not always going to work out well but mm -hmm. you cannot just ignore it because that's not going to work out well either yeah you know? and, and please don't pass your burden on to another nurse practitioner because that's mm -hmm. that's just unfair to everyone yeah i mean i think the unfortunate situation that i hear about so often is that I mean, I directly had that experience as a new grad. It was like, I'm sorry, Liz, you just have to put up with this for mm -hmm. now. <laughs> and I, I wasn't privy to the whole situation. Yeah. The person who's actually directly supervising them. But um, yeah, it was really, it was really challenging. But I feel like in terms of like going backwards in my own experience and imparting, like Hopefully people like watching this can take all of these things and like start implementing them. I can hear already how scared they are <laughs> to yeah. like have those conversations, but I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, I guess some, another kind of framework that I usually recommend and I welcome your feedback about this is like, it sounds like, especially with your, with your advice is like, have a, so if you're not directly supervising them, having a conversation with the person who is directly supervising them, which is usually the office manager talking about that, what that looks like, 
just being very plain and candid about it yeah. before any quote unquote problems happen, you know, um, yeah. and then having honest, direct conversations with the people setting expectations. And then, um, like you said, that SBI kind of framework for feedback. And then I think like the other part is that when things are not going well to speak up, because I think it's mm. that same stuffing thing of like, oh, I'll just do it. I'll just do all yep. the jobs. I, I, I don't want to complain. I'm lucky. I'm, I hear this all the time. I'm lucky to have this job. I can, I'll put up with anything for a year so I can get experience yeah. and then I can get more kind of like leverage for a new job. Um, but I think, I guess like the, the general recommendation that I have is using what you've already talked about, like putting things in writing and mm. sending them to the right people. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if you have any feedback about, about that particular process, but I always tell new NPs and I learned this on the job is that basically if it didn't doc, if you don't document it in HR context, it didn't happen. I don't know yeah. if that's true, but we always say that in nursing is that if you didn't document no, it didn't happen legally speaking, but right. It's true. It's true. So that's a whole other, um, a whole other lane. So if, if, if there are performance issues and you're having, you know, performance conversations and expectation conversations, you know, it is important to take notes as a supervisor. And at a certain point, if you if you get to the point where you're having to give like, you know, in the, in the traditional progressive discipline um, uh, process, you're having to give a verbal warning. We've had these conversations, coaching conversations mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we're still seeing, I'm still seeing um, the same performance issues. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, you know, if it doesn't, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then this could lead to termination of your employment. Like mm-hmm. that's the verbal warning. And then you have to document that. Sometimes some mm-hmm. supervisors will send an email to the person as a reminder. Other Others just, you gave the verbal warning, you take your notes about it, and then you send it to HR, or I guess in this case, the mm. office manager. Mm. Um, I don't know if if um, if you all do like written warnings. Where, oh yeah, no, for okay, sure. So. I think in terms of the traditional HR process, that usually is what happens. I think okay. that like it's more of a tangential. You're contributing to the situation, but you're not. You are not the person giving the verbal or written warnings. Okay. So you're just kind of passing that along to the office manager and to your supervisor. Okay. Got it. So that they can yeah, take that. I mean, but yeah. It, you're right. You have to document. So what I was talking about earlier is really more leading up to that, like the yeah. conversations that you're having mm-hmm. and the clarity that yeah. you're giving and the feedback and all of that. But if it's a pervasive issue, yeah. um, then yes, while well, you do have to document and, and all that fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you used to work in fun. HR. Jack used to work in being head of HR. So oh, <laughs> for me, I mean, 25 years or so yeah 25 years or so I was in human resources and so five years ago I left to start my own practice um and you know in HR I was over all the disciplines so the employee relations which is this part um the 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 learning and development which was always my favorite part and that's you know the lane that I'm in now Mm -hmm. but yeah that the those are the you know, not the fun parts of, of HR, but yeah. I really see like a leader's role as coaching and helping the employee yeah. grow. Yeah. So I, I tell a lot of the, the leaders that I work with, um, this desire to shrink away or this habit of shrinking away from feedback happens at all levels. 
Mm. Right? So I like to think about it. If you're coaching, you know, uh, do you watch sports? Oh, not really. Sort of. Okay. All right. So I like playing pick- sports. So I like soccer and yeah. Okay. All right. So let's soccer. So say you were the soccer coach and you, you know, start the season and you see you, people don't understand you. You're clear about the expectations and you see, you know, one of the players doing something and you know, if they did it slightly differently, then they would have more results, but you wait until the end of the season (laughs) and you say, you know, here's what I saw over this last season. And, um, you know, now I need to put that in your performance review, do better next year. Like you would never do that, but that's what we do at work. Oh, yeah. Sometimes yeah. People get that performance review and they're like, what? I didn't Where did this come from? Yeah. <laughs> it's a surprise. I never knew. No one talked to me. And if someone would have talked to me eight months ago, perhaps, you know, I would have been more successful and then the team would have been more successful. Yeah. So you're giving that feedback so they can be, so the team can win. So they yeah. can win. Like yeah. thinking about yourself as, as a coach from that perspective. And I love that. And I love that, like, just like your general positivity. And I think I'm like noticing as I'm asking these questions and presenting these situations that I have a lot of frustration because I've seen it for so long. And like, really like the ideal worlds we're trying to build are like what, exactly what you're talking about. And I think so often we all get really frustrated with the, issues that we're having and it's like hard to remember that like what is the purpose here what is the point the point is that we're all going to succeed and we're all going to do well and i think like we i think we all think i know that at a deep level and other NPs know that but i think sometimes when we zoom into like the issues that are in front of us it's hard to remember that aspect of like you know we're coming at this from a human to human success supporting everyone's growth and development and learning and all of that stuff and yeah, yeah, it's absolutely like having those real honest conversations with this other human being. Um, and I also think the more people know, we can't have this conversation without talking about empathy, right? Yes. So the more the more people know that you are invested in them as human beings, the, and that you care about them, and that you are your your empathy is is at that level where you're, you know, taking action to make sure that they succeed, the more, the more we're able to establish that connection, mm. the, the easier it is to have these conversations and the more people will mm. do their best work, yeah. right? If, if, yeah. if I work for, when I've worked for leaders who were empathetic and who cared about me as a human being, mm. there wasn't mm. anything that I wouldn't do or try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when we are in these situations and we know there are a lot of leaders out there that shouldn't be in leadership roles, mm-hmm. right? I mean, not for everybody. <laughs> so when we're working for a leader who only cares about our productivity, mm-hmm. who only cares about the bottom line at whatever cost, mm-hmm. it, it, it's some people are okay in that environment. And then there are some people who aren't they're not going to do their best work because yeah. what's the motivation you're i'm just a widget to you and so mm-hmm. that empathy is is really critical yeah yeah and i think that's like another thing that i hear a lot about um 
in terms of NPs going into jobs like that. And I think like my, my general advice for, for people in that situation is like, I, I don't know. I think I just like the cautioning against like, I don't know, just like be careful with that. Right. Because it's like, I think people can be so hopeful that things will change and like, I can put up with anything. And it's like, also like you need to take care of yourself and like, not mm. Like if you are doing the steps, if you're following the framework, if you're giving feedback, if you're reaching out to your supervisor, your colleagues, all of that stuff, and it's still not changing, are they like, well, that's just how it is. Like, ding, 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 you have your answer. And like, can you live with that? Or can you not live with that? Like, can you continue to show up to a job where that is the answer? Like, as if you're just going to hope that it changes, do you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's this like false hope situation of like, people thinking things are going to change. And it's like, you've followed the steps and you've seen the patterns and you've seen the objective data and here's where we are. And you can have, again, another explicit conversation. I'm like, listen, I'm really concerned about this. Maybe not listen. (laughs) Like, Hey, supervisor, I'm really concerned. What are we going to do about this issue where we've communicated feedback and it's not resolving and it's impacting me in this way? Like, and then you get your answer, I guess. I don't know. I guess, I guess that's like the, there's so many things that I want to like tell all the NPs about. Right. Certainly one in terms of dysfunctional workplaces, like it's important to, I don't know. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that in terms of like if things can change or if they don't, or if it's, you know, like where to call it, I guess. Mm, where to call it. It's such a personal choice. Yeah. I think not like, I really believe we all deserve to be, content at work right it's I mean I think that if work is causing stress to the point where you're noticing you know that dread of the morning and the stomach aches and all of the the, unfortunately many of us have been in those situations where we have like physical responses Mm -hmm. to being in a situation that is just unhealthy for us yeah um it's not Personally, for me, it's not worth it. Yeah, no. I would, I would, I would, my hope is that we all find that culture that um, allows us to, to like be the best versions of ourselves and we find that fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a, it's a blessing and a privilege to do work that I would like for me that I would do for free if I could, somebody else would pay my bills. And so creating that culture and being in a culture where, you know, there is joy, not all the time. That's not realistic, but most of the time it's joy and fulfillment and growth and connection. Um, We, we don't have to put up with anything less. I think there are a lot of times where people feel like, well, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Right. Like, this is this this is the situation that I know and if I leave what if it's the same like or worse yeah I know that it's fine here I can tolerate this yeah Yeah. or I can I think alternatively too like so many NPs they just have such big hearts and like they want to change the culture they want to make an impact and not leave because leaving means that they're giving up or something yeah. And it's like, and I think, I don't know, I guess like, I don't, I, maybe last question, like, do you feel like they're like, what are your thoughts about when it comes to building a culture? Like if there's a really unhealthy work culture, 
in terms of the influence that one nurse practitioner has, or even a group of nurse practitioners, like what is your thought about that in those in, in the settings that you've worked in, in terms of like top down versus bottom up, like that kind of thing? Hmm. So before I answer that, I do want to say that um, working to change a culture is really good, mm -hmm. right? And if you find that your efforts have have not materialized and it's too much for you and you need to go mm. then that's not failure like as long as you know you've tried your best to make yeah. it to make a change in the impact right so culture change takes a long time and i think that's the thing that people underestimate is how much effort and how much work because mm -hmm. as cultures mm -hmm. cultures have have evolved over time and it takes a lot of intentionality, a lot of mm. tough decisions, a lot of rough conversations, mm. um, and and a lot of um, stamina <laughs> to mm. change to change a culture. Mm. And it won't change if everybody's not aligned, yeah. right? And so, um, yes, cultures can change from the bottom up mm. if people are if they are empowered. Right, yeah. to do that. I work with one organization where um, they have uh, employee resource groups and the employee resource groups are, are just working so hard to um, get the attention of senior leaders. Yeah. And um, over time, as the senior leaders are listening to the feedback and they're, they're hearing and they're saying, oh, okay, yes, wait a minute, this is something we need, we need to pay attention to as well. Mm -hmm. So it can work. Um, but it's it's really hard if the the leader or the person at the top is not um, aligned with the culture change because yeah. they're the ones that um, you know I I really believe and I I'm not, I know I'm going to get this wrong but there's a John Maxwell saying about you know um, everything rises and falls you know on leadership that's not the exact quote because I can't remember it right now but yeah that's really where it, where it starts and mm. so getting that alignment with the leader around what culture we want to create and then giving employees the opportunity to um to buy in and be part of that culture change process being really mm. intentional about what we're trying to create what does it look like what does it not what behaviors support this culture what behaviors don't and what are the rewards for supporting the culture and what are the um, consequences for showing up in a way that's not aligned with our culture? Mm, mm. And being willing to tell people that aren't aligned with this culture that maybe this isn't the place for you. Mm. Um, I remember, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, Netflix, um, if you want to like learn about culture change, look up Netflix because they did a lot of work. I think it was about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. They actually went through this whole process of you know, articulating what the culture is and um, giving people the opportunity to opt out if they, if they mm -hmm. didn't want to, they didn't want to, they weren't about that. Yeah. So culture yeah. is important. Um, everything, I think everything I don't think there's anything more important in an organization than the than its culture. I can't agree more. I mean, I think, yeah. And I, and I think that's like, I, I so appreciate the way that you're saying that is that like, 
I don't know. Like it's just, it's such a bigger thing than I think a lot of us acknowledge. And I think that <laughs> because so many NPs are so ambitious and so caring, they really do want to make a really big impact. And they do things like make policies and procedures where there aren't any and doing mm-hmm. feedback and like doing all the things that they're trying to do. They're doing all the right things, you know, but it's, yeah. there's only so much, like, it is so important that we have that heart and that energy, but at the same time, recognizing that there is a limit if we're not all on the same page. Cause I think right. that that's the unfortunate thing that I've seen a whole bunch of like trying and trying and trying. And then it's like, it's just like butting heads or like not, you know, it's not coming through or it's like not taken seriously or it's not acknowledged. And it's like, okay, you know, it's just important to, I think to keep that in mind. Cause like, there's yeah. so much that we can do, but like there is a limit yeah. too that we have, it's, right. like, it's the right thing to do to protect ourselves at that point, if it's really not working. Right. And you have to know it's personal choice and you have to know when it's not working for you. And yeah. I think that the, the thing that I would end on is change is hard. Yeah. Right. And so the more we are, we stay connected to, to our why as a result, mm-hmm. as it relates to why we are invested in change um, the more we stay connected to that mm-hmm. the more we're able to say okay this is a really rough day but here's why we're doing this mm-hmm. um, just the same thing as when you know you you start your own your own business mm-hmm. and thinking about why did I do this there's there were those days I remember year two <laughs> many days where I was like okay why did I do this again because right now I want to just start applying for jobs <laughs> burn it right, down right write it down oh yeah that's right you know, applying for jobs does not align with your why you know mm-hmm. and so um same thing with culture change it takes time and it takes effort and um mm-hmm. there will be rough days but remembering like why you're why you're invested in changing the culture in the first place yeah, I think that that courage, I do think that there's the ability to have such a significant impact in your role as an NP, mm-hmm. but you also have to know where you're trying to, um, where your efforts are, when your efforts are futile, yeah. you know, and, and I'm not saying give up too soon, but I'm also saying not stay in a place for, for 10 years and have nine of those years be miserable. So, yeah, and that goes with for any role. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like we deserve more than that as Mm. human beings. It's so true. It's so true. And it's like, it's so important for the longevity of being in specific to nurse practitioners. Sorry for my fan. (laughs) Specifically for nurse practitioners too. Like it's so important that we sustain this career, especially right out of the gate. And like you said, like even starting, starting a business is different than becoming an MP, but they're very similar in some ways because it's a huge role transition, huge responsibility. And I think a lot of people can get into that place of like, why did I do this in the first place? Mm. <laughs> I think I should go back to my old job where I knew what I was doing. You know? Yes, absolutely. There's so much. But, but going back to why you, why you became an MP in the first place, like what was it that energized you about that? Yeah. And how, you know, letting that be your fuel. Yeah. And holding on to that hope and holding on to that vision too. And like not letting that go out because I think a lot of times, and I feel like this is probably true in in the corporate setting as well, like regardless of your type of job, but it's, it's easy to lose passion over time when you're frustrated. So it's like, so just like reconnecting constantly. (laughs) 
Yes. And I think the thing is, we don't realize when we're, when we're, we are in a perpetual state of frustration, how that impacts how we show up. Mm-hmm. You know? So true. We can't see that we're now the person stinking it up at work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the whole other side of it. It's so true. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. You're the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I could talk about this stuff all day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Where can people find you to learn more? I certainly, I mean, I've talked about this with you already. I can't wait to work with you in terms of leadership training. Um, But yeah, that's like, that's something that you're doing, right? For people in corporate settings primarily. Is that correct? You're doing like a training for people who are, sorry, you, you tell, you tell us where they can find you and (laughs) from you. So they can find me either on Instagram um, at Kindle Evolve, K-I-N. People always put the E, but it's like, it's spelled like kind all. Oh, of course it is, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my last name. So at at kind all evolve, the word evolve um, on Instagram. Or that's my website, KindleEvolve.com. I'd love to, you know, if anyone wants to have a chat or has additional questions, I am um, working with leaders all the time. And I've created a program that launches in September for uh, new leaders and talking about some of this very, this very, um, just some, some of these very same uh, topics. So yeah. that's why your, your, your request to do this was quite timely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, yeah. I think it's like applicable for new nurse practitioners, but also like there's a lot of NPs who are going into management. So even if, you know, there's, there are people who are not new grads uh, in my community. And um, I know that that is something that I considered after a couple of years of practice leading a medical, as a medical director. Um, and that's, yeah, a whole nother skill set. So <laughs> You want to pass that along to your NP colleagues if you're not going into leadership positions yet. If you haven't grabbed the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these videos sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much for watching. Hang in there and I'll see you soon. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the Ultimate Resource Guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.